0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church
1: to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and
0: welcome to The Worship Review. This is the final episode in our third series where we are looking at the songs that are popular in the countries that comprise the top 10 uh, national makeup of our listenership. So beginning with the United States, we looked at a song called You Say by Lauren Daigle. Then we went to the UK and looked at God Only Knows by For King and Country. On and on in descending order of listenership, we looked at the songs that are popular where you live, not where we live. I am one of your hosts. I'm named Tyler, and the other host is with me. His name is Colin.
1: Hello, I'm Colin, and uh, we are excited to wrap up this season and move forward with whatever we're going to do next. Uh, So yeah, let's get to it. Indeed. So Colin... As we begin here, we have some listener feedback I'd like
0: to get to uh, as the songs themselves come up. But why don't we mm-hmm. look at the top three songs in this 10-part series and the bottom three songs in this 10-part yeah. series. So can you, can you remember or maybe w- wager a guess what the highest-rated song this series was? Um, it wasn't You Are
1: Mighty, is it?
0: It was. It was You Are oh. Mighty. You gave that one a four and i gave it a five okay we were both quite fond of that um can you guess what maybe the second and third were
1: um well there were a lot of threes so i don't know um was death has no power up there yes it was that is tied with the third
0: so, Death Has okay. No Power by Jeremy and Adrian Camp was uh, number two or three, depending on how you rank them. And then okay. the third one was also a West African favorite. Okay. That was um, Bononi. Can you guess what our worst song was, Colin?
1: Uh, I would have to guess that Corey Asbury song, whatever <laughs> it was.
0: Yes, it's but it's tied with another one. So, yeah, The Father's oh, House really? is down there. Yeah. Another
1: one where um, one of us gave it a one and the other one gave it a two. Boy. Uh, it wasn't the song about calling me favor, the one who just It was
0: that one. That one was okay. the deal breaker for me. Remember I said, I, I can't give it anything above a one.
1: That's right. You did not like that the person was kind of claiming a kind of personification of an attribute of God, if I remember correctly. Was That's that right? That's right,
0: yeah. And in, um, we'll probably talk about this when the episode comes up. In hindsight, I think... If you grant it the reading that this is a declaration of someone's name, and the whole song they've been saying, this is my name, call me this, then when they finally say, I am this thing, and that's their name, I don't know at what point you're no longer allowed to fault it for saying, I am an attribute of God. So, perhaps a little bit harsh for me. What about our third
1: song, Colin? Our third worst song in terms of... Probably the one... For king and country god only knows exactly exactly ha, look at how good i i got all these excellent memory yes we gave it two out of five
0: each of us gave it two out of five um we were not fond of this
1: so i was just gonna say that is the catchiest of all of the songs that we reviewed i think well among them certainly like as soon as i start thinking about that song i get the chorus in my head
0: yes me too unfortunately um also i think Bonani is a very catchy song mm. um yeah Okay, now let's jump in to some detailed feedback from listeners on each of the episodes. For our first episode, as I mentioned before, we looked at a song that was popular in the U.S. That was You Say by Lauren Daigle. You gave it three bottles of Windex, and I gave it three Adels, giving it an average score of three. So just clearing the mark there. Um, In hindsight, Colin, would you change your rating in any way?
1: Well, it's funny because we've now gone through a bunch of other songs. I don't think I would bump it up to a four, but I wouldn't drop it any lower. Only because there were some songs that we did that really were not as good as this one, I guess. And not that this one was awesome, but um, I don't know. uh, I have more patience for just kind of vagueness and... Not getting into detail as we went along, because there were some songs that we did that just had very little in the way of specificity, and so I remember thinking that about this song. And whereas compared to some of the other ones, this song actually was had some specificity in it.
0: I'm in a similar boat. I I wouldn't change my rating at all. I think it merits a three um maybe a little higher
1: but since we're doing a 5 point scale i yeah we're not doing 3 and a halves or anything
0: yeah i mean if you think about it as percentages is we're talking about the difference between a 60 and an 80 when we jump from yeah four so uh-uh. no like 69 no. 70% no. Um, okay uh some feedback we got from this from uh, a very very dedicated listener and i'm very grateful for his feedback, he said, I appreciate your starting point that most will get the context referring to the context of it being a Christian song. Yeah. The presumption of Christianity. He says, you guys generally don't allow for many of those, even where others would. And you justify this in your own stringent context. I think this will, this, uh, this detail will permeate many of the later comments, because there were other times where I, or where you, Colin, did not afford a song, a presumption of Christianity, or a presumption <clears> of <throat> it being a Christian song. Um, and so, this is something that I think we'll have to reckon with later.
1: Yeah, probably, and I, you know, it's funny, we haven't even gotten into the, the, each song yet, but I think I can already... Just recalling my own comments on various songs, it's like, yeah, that's probably true. This song, if we wouldn't have given it the benefit of assuming the context, I mean, (laughs) there, you know, this could very easily be about a boyfriend, girlfriend, almost the overwhelming number of the lyrics. I mean, there are obviously some key giveaways, but it's true. In some other songs, we did not, um, we were not as generous. And I suppose that's going to be something that we keep working on as we do this podcast is kind of when to when to give that benefit of the doubt and when not to
0: in episode 10 i remember saying there may be some listener error or percept uh perception error from the speakers as we evaluate these songs and i think that might be true here because uh, we were not entirely consistent as you're saying and I remember my reasoning for saying that people will presume that this is a Christian song. And my reasoning was, this sounds like Christian radio music.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that.
0: Obviously, that is uh, a product of what I consider Christian music sound to be. Now, there are obviously some yeah. trends that are not based on me in that. But perhaps it's the case that um, Joyous celebration song, Hymn 377, Denzel Uncendo. Sounds like Christian music in South Africa, and I just don't have access to that. Um, Sure. So maybe that's a source of inconsistency there.
1: Yeah, yeah. There may be some like uh, yeah, some cultural um, just biases that we just have, just from being from the part of the world that we're from, that automatically led us to to assume a context in certain places, which we didn't in others. Our
0: second episode in the series was uh, from the UK. Popular there. (laughs) By, for King and Country, a song called God Only Knows. Colin, you gave it two out of five hotlines, uh, choosing not to make a joke out of the rating system, but to use it in the same way that the song uses the hotline to encourage people to uh, call this number if they are experiencing any kind of suicidal ideation or anything like that. Uh And I gave it two out of five Timberlakes, um, Mm. because it sounds like Justin Timberlake. um, And I guess because I'm just not as good a person as... You are.
1: <laughs> you know, this song was a weird one because, okay, so going back to the idea of context, uh, this was a song where we had a, a comment by the artists and they had said, they, had, they were clearly just throwing darts at a dartboard when they were trying to explain what the song was itself even about. And the music video, one of the music videos, I should say, gave the impression that it was about kind of suicide, suicidal thoughts. But there were other versions of the video which did not have that in it, and the author's own comments were all over the place, too. So this one, I feel a little bit less... I, I'm not as concerned if I, I... don't remember whether I really gave it the strong presumption of a Christian context, but if I didn't, I'm not as worried about that because it just... From the get-go, it seemed like among the artists, there was not a clear kind of vision or mission for the song. And apart from just the, 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 the phrase, God only knows, there just was not a lot that was overtly Christian.
0: I remember when I arrived at two out of five, I was looking for a quantifier to uh, rate it on. And I, I watched the music video looking for something, because my typical practice is to find something funny in the video and then make that um, the quantifier. But it's not a funny video. There's nothing funny about the subject matter. It's a very somber, solemn concept. And uh, f- for, for the record, I chose um, the score before I watched the music video. And as you said, there's nothing in the text that indicates this is about suicide. I had no idea that that's where the music video was going to go before I turned that on. So I just want to make that clear. Sure. Okay. Then we left um, imperialist countries, and uh, (laughs) we found ourselves for the first time in the series on the African continent uh, in Nigeria. And we looked at a song by uh, Nathaniel Bassey, who's something of a superstar over there. And his song... Olorun Agbaye, which means you are mighty. Colin, you gave it four out of five imposters because of a, uh, an imposter scam, and I gave it five out of five solo breaks. Would you bump it up to five
1: in hindsight? Would you keep it at four? I wouldn't bump it up. I would reaffirm, though, the four out of five. It was already at this point, episode three in, that I realized that the specificity was always going to be wanting and this song i really appreciated its candor i thought it was not trying to really be tricky or overly poetic with its words it seemed to be pretty straightforward and clear it could have been a lot clearer about some aspects or and more comprehensive as well about some aspects but on the whole i was pleased with this song relative to the first two and admittedly, this was a song where I assumed the Christian context, and I did so because in kind of my research for the song, after reading the lyrics, I just started checking up on this guy, Nathaniel Bassi, and, and saw just how involved this guy is in kind of his own various ministries. And, you know, it just seemed to me like, okay, this is a person who's constantly using his talents for God's glory. And so it was just easy for me to maybe be a bit more generous with the rating here. What about you, Tyler?
0: Yeah, many times when you encounter musicians who are also ministers, who are also faith healers and things like that, in my mind, I, there's an element, and I think not unreasonable, of... Um, skepticism of wolves in sheep's clothing. Not a comment on anyone who practices those things at all, but if you were a wolf uh, who wanted to uh, monetize the Christian faith, that would be a very lucrative route for you to go, especially if you're charismatic. And I got no hint of that from Bassi, as you said. And in fact, he he just seems like a really genuine, uh, sincere, unpretentious man uh, concerned about the gospel, I wouldn't change it from a five. Frankly, uh, I mean, for a radio song, it's not a a, a worship song necessarily, but for a radio song, uh, I think just a, a song that praises God's glory and might. What yeah. what a nice thing to have on the radio! I I would uh, I would do that.
1: Tyler, I don't know whether the analytics will show this or not. I wondered about two thirds of the way through the series whether maybe we were harder on songs that kind of came out of cultures that we knew more about and whether we were a bit more forgiving when songs came out of cultures that we had less experience in. I just wonder whether that's true. And I I felt like I was way more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to several of the African songs. And I also thought, so like, we're going to get to Phil Wickham. Like I just, as soon as you see some dude that like looks like a, American or Canadian millennial, uh, you know, I I admittedly, you know, uh, I had to, I had to work hard not to have a negative first impression. I felt like I was way more open to some of the African songs doing well. I don't know whether the analytics might bear that out or not.
0: Colin, to answer your question, having done just a brief analysis of four songs from the African continent and then uh, one, two, three, four, five, six songs from uh, more U.S. dominant, U.K. dominant, Australia dominant cultures, can I say Anglophone dominant culture? Yeah. Um, We have an African average of three and then an Anglophone average of
1: 2.6. Okay, not too different then.
0: Not too different, but it does seem... If there's a bias in the difference between those two numbers, it tends toward the Africans. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And as for listener feedback, I confess to my disappointment that the top song, granted sung in English, in Nigeria was musically indistinguishable from late 90s whiny, whaley, romantic pop ballads or current (laughs) Christian music. Sure. That is... Listener feedback. I, I I sense that as well. Um, it yeah. To my ears, it does sound a little dated. Uh, many of these songs sounded a little dated yeah. to me.
1: That was true. I remember. So the very first African song we ever did, which was that song by Sinach. I thought that song could have come out of the 1990s as well. Right. Waymaker. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so maybe there's a um, a kind of stylistic situation in some African countries where. Some of those sounds are just pleasing, or maybe it's the age of the people that are making that music, because I think is probably late 30s, early 40s, and Nathaniel Bassi, I think, is early 40s as well, in terms of age. So they would have been listening to a lot of kind of 90s music, I'm sure, when they were younger.
0: Yeah, well, I remember uh, a few years ago, five years ago, being in Germany, in public places... Where music was played, uh, they were playing 90s grunge bands, rock bands, pop bands, early 2000s music as well. Wow. So
1: that stuff didn't even often play here in those sorts of places because the grunge and stuff was just too depressing. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember, so I was in high school at that time, and I remember like always requesting grunge music and like the DJ or whatever would always kind of be like, all right, fine. And it would just be like, nobody would do anything to it. Right. Cause it wasn't really danceable. Yeah. You couldn't dance quickly. You couldn't dance slowly. I don't know. You just kind of stood there and listened to it.
0: Yeah. But I think there are, is a substantial subculture in, in Germany at the very least of people who go out to kind of, headbang to music by themselves. Wow. Like it's not this, I don't know, it's, it's not club music necessarily. It's just they kind of, you know, they wear the same pants that the, uh, the Juggalos wear here. You know what I'm talking about? Like the big uh-huh. poofy pants of, of uh, corn and... Uh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It might be a subculture thing there. On episode four, we looked at a Phil Wickham song called Battle belongs. Colin, you gave this three out of five hair swipes, and I gave it three out of five preachers in tight jeans. Um, this song was uh, in in uh, based off a scene from the Old Testament and seemed to do it some justice, although there were other times where very important details seemed to be kind of glossed over. And I remember, Colin, you were talking about Uh, what it looks like for us to look on as God does something and comment to ourselves about what we are doing as opposed to what God is doing in that moment.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember this was one of several songs which had this weird situation where it was overtly, at least, describing God doing something, but in such a way that it was... As the way that I phrased it was that the camera was still kind of looking at the person, look at God, as it were. Like, the thing that we were supposed to take away was how amazed the person was with what God was doing, rather than just simply being amazed at what God was doing. And there's a subtle difference there, but it, it's just this uh, way of still managing to be a bit self-focused, even when that maybe wasn't appropriate based on what the song was actually hinting at.
0: Well, this formed the backbone of a fairly detailed listener comment. There's a scene in this comedy show by Gary Shandling. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, Mm -hmm. It's his 25th anniversary special. He talks about this girl he's recently met. Uh, and uh, This is the backbone of a listener's... comment so i'd like you to hear it i met a new girl i met a girl at a barbecue which was exciting a beautiful girl blonde uh i think i don't know her hair was on fire but uh and all she talked about was herself you know those kind of girls i'm hot i'm on fire it was just me 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 help me put me out you know so that was the background (laughs) of this joke and what he was saying was um that your comment sounded somewhat like this guy as he's telling the joke, like something incredible (laughs) is happening. And this person is saying, I am witnessing this. I am seeing this. And you're saying, all you talk about is me, 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 me. Um, and, uh, I have some, I have some kind of linguistic comments on this because he also talks about, um, what is an agent and what is not. But I'm wondering, um, if you had any response to that.
1: I agree with what the listener is saying in principle, and that is that just because a person says I or is talking about me, for example, it doesn't ultimately mean, doesn't, it's not necessarily the case that they are self-focused. At the same time, in this song, so I, I grant that, is this song one of the cases where somebody is saying me and I a lot but they are actually describing somebody else or that is the at least somebody else is the focus well i mean let's look at the chorus right so when i fight i'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high god the battle belongs to you now that is a statement about god that last one every fear i lay at your feet i'll sing through the night oh god the battle belongs to you now i'm just looking at a chorus here we'll not rehash the whole song But there are two statements in here, they're both the same statement, about something that God really is doing. But the other bits of the kind of I and me language here, it is saying, by implication, I guess, that God, um, I don't know, is kind of worthy of worship, and that God uh, is worthy of having fear laid at his feet like you you could make that argument but it what the the action here like the verbs and the subject the the kind of nominative nominative parts of the sentence are still quite focused on what the person is doing and i i would say that in this chorus at least it really is the singer that is the main actor and when we're kind of thinking about at least me Certainly when I am thinking about these words and putting pictures in my mind of what's happening, I'm imagining the p- person doing these things. I'm not really seeing what God is actually doing, apart from just by implication. And, and even then it's not very detailed, But whereas we have more detail as to what the person is actually doing. So I agree in principle with this feedback. Um, I don't think... I don't know, I think it would be too generous to say that this, that the singer in this song, Phil Wickham, is really speaking about God. He's just really kind of, you know, using me and I language, but it's still really, really focused on God. I, I'm just not sure that the words, the de- just the overwhelming amount of detail and action seems to be focused on the person.
0: Yes, it does seem that the locus of attention is centered around the one yeah. on his knees with his hands lifted high. I mean, even when we say, so when I fight, well, who is doing the fighting in Second Chronicles, right? Yeah. Um, we're summoned to battle, but really God does the fighting. Um, another question that this listener had about this was, is is it possible that there could be a too many eyes detector? Um. And then he asked, I wonder how many first-person pronouns there are in the Psalms. I have an answer to this. I would guess there are a bunch. So many first-person pronouns. Right. And, but this, can I just say something?
1: Yeah. This is a common, I agree, I, I agree with the place where this comes from, because you get people who just kind of react, just kind of give a reaction to modern music, and they're like, oh, it's too much I, too much, and there's some people, right, who don't like any songs that which feature kind of the human subject front and center and i agree that we shouldn't react automatically to that because again in the psalms we definitely have that i mean you had you said you have you know you've got the number yeah I,
0: i have uh esv and kjv but it's kind of detailed i'll stick to esv for now there's 786 uses of the word i in the esv book of psalms and 882 uses of you in the Uh book of Psalms in the ESV. So both rather high for word counts. Um, You does outrank I, but not by more than 100. Yeah. And in terms of first-person plural pronouns, those are also present, but not extremely prevalent. You have 79 uses of we, for example.
1: Yeah, so I would affirm where the listener is coming from here to say, like, we shouldn't callously reject first-person language like it's clearly biblical it's there in the psalms um so there but we do have to make a subtle distinction i think between first-person language that and we've talked about this before i don't remember where we did this but this had come up in a few songs that we talked about just kind of the difference between songs in the first person where God is still kind of unmediated. Again, it's like it's like the Psalms where the person is kind of reflecting on some objective aspect of God. They're they're talking about their perception of that objective aspect or their experience of that aspect, but they're not they're not funneling God through that. It's it's just like, you know, okay, I I'm seeing this thing uh, about God and it's 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 in it's manifesting itself in my life in a particular way but there's no sense that the subjective is a limiter on god either whereas in this song um in from my perspective certainly when i read those lyrics in the chorus i mean it it just it's hard to see what god is doing apart from what this person is actually doing first like God God is not pa- passive in the song by any respect, you know, by any, in any respect, but at the same time, God's presence in the song seems quite mediated through the individual. And I guess that's the distinction that I would draw. In in the Psalms, it's very personal, it's absolutely personal, uh, and some Psalms, they start out very personal, and then the psalmist gets a bigger view of God, like they they start speaking quite... I must used a, a term of, my, of our former president, start speaking bigly about, <laughs> about God. <laughs> um, you know, and this song, I just, it just kind of, uh, God stays pretty limited or contained in, into the experience of the person and the person's actions as well
0: one important distinction that's made in linguistics that we haven't been making in our podcast is the difference between an agent and an experiencer. And in English, both of these types of semantic role semantics just means meanings. So roles pertaining to the meaning of words of, of pronouns in this case, um, can be assigned first person pronouns. And, The difference is kind of subtle, but once you notice it, you'll see it everywhere. Um, If you say, I ran down the street, I am an agent in this case. I use the pronoun I, so I'm referring to myself and describing an action that I am accomplishing. But if I say, I saw John run down the street, well, now I'm using I, but I'm no longer an agent. I am an experiencer of the action, which is sight. And John running down the street is the, John is the agent of running down the street. And verbs, you mentioned perception and experience. Verbs of perception are the probably the most common experiencer verbs uh, in English, where we will have a subject, I, but it won't be an agent. It will be an experiencer. I saw, I heard the news, um, I witnessed a crime, so to speak. Um, these are experiencer roles for the word I. Yeah. And so I has, you have to be a little bit careful when you say there's too many eyes, because it's, are they agent eyes or are they experiencer eyes? And more so, or, or moreover, um, is this an I that represents me or is it an I that is God? So Psalm 110 verse one says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, that that i pertains to god so we can't just be so simplistic as to reduce it to a single metric
1: yeah yeah and i would just add one more thing that distinction that you make linguistically is also there in uh like disciplines like say anthropology for example so anthropologists are keenly aware of the difference between describing a culture from the position of maybe the anthropologists own culture and that's a bit of a problem Whereas if you can be an observer, you're still going to be using first-person type language, but it kind of uh, makes that language a bit more neutral and less, I can't think of a better word than like imperialistic, but that's not quite the right word. But the idea is that anthropologists, when they study another culture and observe another culture and describe it and write about it and so on and so forth and evaluate it, Um, They need to be real careful about maintaining the perspective of an observer and not as a kind of, um, and not as kind of using their own cultural lens to, they have to just be aware of their own kind of cultural biases in the way that they describe what's happening and try not to let that mediate the culture that is under observation. In the Psalms, you, I think we see a lot of observational language about God. I don't recall a lot of language where God is just limited by the, by the, you know, by the subject, if, he's, if it's a human subject. I just still don't see that, that I and me language kind of limiting or conquering God in some way, I guess.
0: Yes, and even to to put a really fine point on it, in this song, Battle Belongs, by Phil Wickham, God is also described as an experiencer and not as an agent very often. Hmm. So when all I see is the battle, okay, we have an eye, it's an experiencer I because it's a verb of perception. See, you see my victory. Well then now God is an experiencer. He's experiencing sight as well, but it's something else that he's experiencing. It's not when all I see is a battle you go out and conquer or something like that where it would, <laughs> right. it would be a real, um, a agent of I in that case, or yeah. an agent of you. Um, and furthermore, when he shows up in the chorus, when God, I mean, shows up in the chorus, he's kind of an oblique character at times. So, um, I fight on my knees, my hands of high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. So it's, there's this a little side there. We make sure that we've got this, uh, marked off. It belongs to him or, I f- lay every fear at your feet, so uh, yes, you are there, your feet are there, uh, but really the focus seems to be kind of me laying it down, so. Yeah. Well, now I think we've come back to, the, we've we've said so much, we've come back to the beginning. That was episode four. Bononier. 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 By Joe Metal and Luigi McLean, uh, also a very catchy melody. Uh, yeah. Colin, you gave this three out of five surprise brass sections. <laughs> I gave it four out of five overlong vowels. Would you change that three to a four in hindsight? Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I remember in the beginning of this, uh, I mentioned that I, it felt to me that you were being uh, very harsh for its lack of specificity in your eyes. So um, when the singer says, I am who I am because of you, If it had not been for you, tell me where would I be? I was lost and sinking deep in sin, but you reached out your hand and rescued me. There's no one else can do the things you do. There's no one else but you. And one of the listeners' feedback uh, requests was, Can you explain, Colin, in detail how you would meet your standard of specificity given the musical and temporal constraints? And a second question, Can anything be assumed of the medium that allows for certain reference, such as "you," to be understood a priori.
1: Yeah, uh, let me start with the second one because I think the second one's a um, especially good point. Yeah, I think that in the in the future, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be slightly less pedantic about explicit, whether a song explicitly mentions, say, God or Jesus. Um, Because, again, unless we're somehow looking at songs that are way out of context, but if we're talking about a church or Christian context, we're going to assume that the U, if it's a capital U and all of that, is going to be God. I think that's a fair thing to do. Um, The first question is harder. um, And the problem is... Okay, so yes, um, we cannot have, you know, just the, the constraints on songs in general, because we just, you know, songs tend to be, songs like this tend to be, you know, two, three, four, five minutes, that sort of thing. Uh, the, there just is not, as, not much time to go into a whole, you know, exegetical explanation of particular points in a song. But I think good songs, we have seen it done well. Good songs will find little poetic ways, they'll use consistent metaphors, they'll find little tricks of language, they'll use little tricks of language to bring out detail and to kind of shine a spotlight on detail. Now, again, these cannot be sermons, these cannot be you know, confessions in many cases, although we have looked at a creed put to music. But in most cases, they're not going to be like that. But but I think good songs find little ways. So like, before the throne of God, um, the second, let's see here. Um, uh, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me now that's just a few words but in those words we get penal substitutionary atonement we get um you know the the idea of uh all of our sin being forgiven we get sin we get uh uh we get sort of the Uh, the the kind of full sense of what the full measure of grace is, the totality of grace, the totality of forgiveness. Um, Just this idea of looking on him and pardoning me, we get the kind of courtroom language. I mean, there's just a lot, probably a lot more than I'm just mentioning off the top of my head, but that would be a good example. Yeah, that would be a good example of, of just a few words, which, you know, that's not a sermon. It's not a doctrinal statement from some confessional denomination. But it is nevertheless just really rich, uh, kind of in terms of detail. And we've seen songs do that. and But there are a lot of songs that we looked at in this series which were very verbose, but they just kind of uh, circled around kind of vague descriptors and did not use what they use the amount of time that they had to really dig into something. And again, I've made comparisons numerous times with like undergraduate writing and I just kind of where I go, like, you know, an essay that meets the word count, right? Doesn't necessarily get the grade because you know, the, the, the essay has got to have good evidence, got to have good arguments. It's got to be clear. Right. And, and, so there's, you know, my, my, certainly my standards for specificity are not going to be too high. But at the same time, if a song is not using its words well, then it's, I'm going to dock it a little bit if it's, if it's not using the time that it does have. I mean, these some of these Hillsong songs, for example, and we've, we've had some Hillsong songs that we thought did well, but some of them are like seven minutes. It's like, well, you got a lot of options in seven minutes. You, don't, you know, Obviously, you don't have to write a novel, but, man, there should be... There's lots of opportunities in there to say some really specific things about God that help give some substance maybe to some of the vaguer things. And if it just stays in the vague stuff, to me, that is... A failure, uh, or at least that is a a problem that needs to be reflected in the rating. Does that get to that question?
0: It does. It raises another question in my mind. It, in that framework, uh, which you've laid out for appropriateness of songs, including using the words well, I think is, yeah. is what you uh, said, what room is there for... Contemplative songs, introspective songs, uh, maybe songs that refer to the singer's uh, perception of things that he or she has experienced. Um, Does your framework leave room for that? Because Before the Throne of God Above is a quite declarative song. It is stating things that are true um, throughout. And there... I'm not saying this is a, a good or a bad thing. I can't think of many songs that meditate or contemplate yeah. um, feelings, emotions, even questions that would fit the standard that you've laid out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd go back to the Psalms. So I think many of the Psalms are pretty good at balancing the meditative contemplative perspective while also using that to then access some greater objective declarative truth about God and turning those contemplations into a kind of praise because of some aspect of god's character or some concrete thing that he did that's just broader than just the thing that was being meditated on like the very personal thing that might be being meditated on that doesn't happen every time but i would say that often happens and i would think a song a song that is going to encourage christians in general whether in the context of worship or on christian radio it seems wise for that song, even if it begins or has parts where it is more personally contemplative or personally meditative, the song will edify the broader church more if it finds a way to move from that into some kind of more objective contemplative contemplation it doesn't have to rest you know it doesn't have to go straight to the cross it doesn't have to do that but um i would think i would think meditation that is more generally edifying and not just simply personally edifying and you know there's nothing wrong with with you know spending time contemplating god's personal work in someone's life. is a really good idea. But that doesn't necessarily, in my view, make for the most uh, holistic... make for the most applicable... make for a song that is necessarily as applicable to the general church as, uh, you know, as, as could be if the song moved into some kind of general application.
0: Mm-hmm. And I don't want to indict this song, Bononi, necessarily on this charge. No but i will say if if your song is if if one message in your song is look who god has made me to be as opposed to who i could have been now that's that's good that's fine but it runs the risk of uh the takeaway for a listener or a uh, someone who sings in the congregation uh that the takeaway might be Oh, God, make me like this guy up front. Look how you yeah. saved him. And not, Oh, God, make me like Christ. Now, I realize I'm not trying to be pedantic. I'm not trying to say that this song does that. But it at least is open to that misinterpretation. Uh, yeah. I don't think you want. And when I think you you mentioned kind of more contemplative psalms that, uh, that do this well, I, I thought of Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, oh my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. That's a psalm that uh, is clearly contemplative, even um, maybe urgent in in its uh, supplication. And yet, um, at the end of the day, the focus is on God
1: saving his people. And there's... And there's a lot of stuff in that song that even though it's a kind of story about what God has done for that person, there's a lot in there that is generally applicable. You know, even though the psalmist doesn't explicitly tell us that it's generally applicable, I mean, it's clearly there, right? This is clearly a song that any of God's people could sing.
0: Yeah, I think about that uh, line about falling asleep and waking up. I mean, ev- if you ever fall asleep distressed and wake up, you can meditate on the fact that God has sustained you through the night. Yeah. He's kept you safe. So, yeah, there's a lot that's generally applicable from that. Listeners, thank you so much for your attention so far. We are excited to look at the second five, second set of five songs in the second series next Monday, uh, where we will look at Hymn of Heaven, Death Has No Power, The Father's House, Denzel Incendo, and Call Me Favor. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Please send us your feedback, your money, and all of your accolades. uh, And check us out at theworshipreview.com. All right, take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash the worship review and patreon.com slash the worship review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.